0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, Without further ado, we're getting into the Word of God. So um, why don't you open with me to Exodus 33 verses 18 through all the way through... Chapter 35, verse 3, is going to be our text today. Uh, We're going to be talking about the glory and the goodness of God. And today we pick up right where we left off last week in chapter 33 of Exodus, as Moses is dialoguing with God, really about Israel's future, immediately after and in response to Israel's greatest failure, like the, the, the making of the golden calf and the worship of that calf, that idolatry, uh, that nationwide idolatry that happened. Moses is dialoguing with God, and uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off. And as always, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles uh, at the tables as you walk in can use it for the day. Or if you don't have a Bible, please go ahead and take it. It's a gift from you. Also, we added something else to that table. Some of you have them in your hands. If you have a fan, can you hold your fan up? That's our AC. We don't have AC, so we added fans back there. So please feel free to pick up a fan. If you're hot, you can go back and get one if you're like, wow, I missed the fans. Go back to the Bible table, pick up a fan. But like leave that. Don't don't take those because you're going to all take them and then we're going to have no fans next week. Um, But we got them at the swap meet, so you can just go grab one if you want one, too. Um, But anyway, grab a Bible, grab a fan. Um, Bible's a gift. Leave the fan. Um, But we're going to get right into our text, and as normal... um, During longer study weeks, like if it's more than a chapter, we have a lot of you guys come and read the text, and then we'll jump into it. And uh, today, I want to welcome up a friend, Uh, him and his wife have been so faithful in serving this church before it started. Um, Him and his wife lead and host the uh, Salt Lake Ohana group, and uh, in light of uh, Veterans Day, he also is a Navy corpsman. Let's invite up Johnny Lavasser. Where are you? There he is he's gonna be reading our text today uh and then we'll get into it johnny thanks buddy
1: there you go Thank you. thanks buddy all right good morning everybody <coughs> get this. all right exodus uh, 33 18 then moses said now show me your glory and the lord said I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will move my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain." So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin, and take us as your inheritance." Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make cast idols. Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in that month, you came out of Egypt. The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. No one is to appear before me empty handed. Six days you shall shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Celebrate the feast of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And the feast of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory. And no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. And do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover feast remain until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights without eating bread or drinking water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face, but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it must be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day.
0: Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, let's give him a hand, everybody. Thank you, Johnny. Um, This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you preserved it for us and that it tells of who you are and your character and your attributes. And today we see it tells of your goodness and your glory. And so God, we ask that today that we would understand your goodness and we would experience your glory. That you would help us to understand what the meaning of this this is in light of the context of Exodus and Israel thousands of years ago, the potency, the significance, but also, God, as we read it, as your sons and daughters, as your church, we understand that this word is for us, you preserved it for, and you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so, God, would you give us application how this fits in to our own lives? What does this look like for us uh, on a daily basis here in Hawaii in 2019, like in November? What does this mean for us? How does it shape us? How does it speak to us? How are we to interact with you? And so would you do that, God? Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, have your way. I pray that I would be your mouthpiece to communicate these truths. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As always, whenever jumping into any type of scripture, whether it's one verse, whether it's in the morning and you do this thing, like you wake up in the morning, you're like, I just need God so I can make coffee, and then you open it up and you jump in. What's really important is you understand the context of where you're jumping into. Like it's really important that you understand what's revolving in the story or even what kind of Book it is you're reading. Is it poetic? Is it historical account? Is this poetry like, it's, it's important to know the context of what you're reading. That's true in life. It's even more important in the Bible. So even today, if you've been with us and we jump into Exodus 33 through 35, you're like, where, why are we studying this on Sunday? Like, don't boil, um, go in his mother's milk. You're like, I'm, I just want to go to brunch, honestly. It's important that we understand the context and what's happening here to give us, because without context, you're going to either miss the point or you're going to miss the significance of the point. Um, Right now, what's happening is that Moses has been talking with God. He's really been pleading with God on behalf of Israel for God not to throw the towel in. Like Israel has rebelled and rebelled and complained and disobeyed like since they got out of Egypt. And what Moses is doing is he's pleading with God to stay with his people, to be with them, to not depart. And last week, primarily, we studied Moses and Israel's dependency upon God and that they were unwilling to go any further without the presence of God being with them. Even if God was promising them the promised land and the land flowing with milk and honey and their success and prosperity and flourishing that way, they put their foot down and they said, God, I'm not going to go there if you're not going with us. And so what's happening is, is this conversation is continuing between Moses and God and Moses is continuing to seek God. And here it gets a bit personal. Instead of Moses pleading on behalf of Israel, Moses asked God for something himself. And what he's doing is he's saying, God, show me your glory. In other words, show me more of yourself. I want to know you more. And what does God do is he responds by showing his his goodness. We're going to get into that in a second. He says, you want my glory? I'm going to show you my goodness, and I'm going to come in glory. But then what happens is a, he, they set forth a new covenant, right? There's new tablets that God says to Moses, bring up the hill. Because if you remember a couple of weeks ago, when Moses came off the hill before, when he saw the golden calf, he had the original 10 commandments on these tablets. And what did he do? Moses, seeing that Israel had broken the covenant between God and them, he threw the tablets on the ground, they broke apart. And so what's happening on the mountain today is that there's a new covenant. It's not necessarily new, but the the actual stones, the 10 commandments that are being written on these stones, uh, God and Moses are doing this again so that he can bring these new tablets back to the people. And the majority of our chapter If you're thinking that all that was weird stuff or just confusing things, what's happening is that God is condensing what we've already studied like 10 chapters of. This is the law. This is the covenant. These are the terms of the relationship between God and his people. And what God is doing here in Exodus 34 is he's reiterating the purpose of being set apart as God's people. And he talks a lot about when you go into the land, there are people living in that land that do not follow me, that actually worship other gods. They're being disobedient and they're they're, um, set up for destruction. And a lot of what he's telling them are safeguards and their warnings for their well-being. What God is trying to do as a loving father, (laughs) his kids have messed up a lot. And he's trying to like sit them down again and say, okay, in order for you to flourish and do well, I know you don't understand this, and I know you have trouble listening to me, but I know what's best for you, and it's best if you do these things and don't do these things. I'm not trying to like wreck your fun and like cap off your life and and be a killjoy. God's like, actually, in order for you to experience the fullness of joy you have in me, this is what you need to do and don't do so. These are the safeguards that I'm giving you. This is what's happening on the mountain. God's glory comes. His goodness comes. Uh, there's this, you know, the tablets are written again. I'm giving you like the cliff notes real quick and then we'll dig in. Um, Moses, all that's happened is so affected by the presence and glory of God. He's so affected that he literally is glowing. Like, his face is glowing, it's radiating, and uh, everyone is, sees it. Wherever Moses walks, all of Israel would know, and so he literally has to, like, put a veil over his face because it's scaring people. Like, it's just, wow, like, Moses, you have changed. You have been with the Lord. There's something different about you, and the whole world can see it. This is what's happening. And so Moses comes down, glowing. From being with God with these new, you know, new tablets with the law written on them again, and he communicates it once again to Israel. And in a sense, what this is, is a second chance. This is a fresh start. This is a do over. This is God's mercy and grace uh, coming in a very practical way. Okay, this has happened again like you guys have done this, broke the tablets, the covenant was broken, but let's start over. Let's start afresh. And uh, God has agreed to stay with us and lead us. And once again, he's reminded us of his character and his will for us. It's actually a, a pretty neat, vivid picture of God's heart for humanity. But the most potent parts of this that I want to kind of like draw out. There's a lot that we could go into, but I think the most potent parts is the goodness and the glory of God, specifically that God tells of his goodness while showing up in his glorious presence. It's kind of all intertwined there. So what happens? To backtrack out of my Cliff Notes, to go back to the front of the Cliff Notes real quick, set some context. Moses asked God, Show me your glory. Literally what he's meaning there, his prayer, his ask of God, is this idea of kabod, the manifest literal weight of God's glory. Like, in a sense, God, give me everything. You've been holding back. I know you have more. I know there's more of you. I know you've showed us glimpses of who you are. I want it all. That's what he's saying here. And again God's glory in a very watered down sense is so much more than this is his beauty and his holiness and his majesty like it's the full strength and weight of the treasure and wonder that he is that's God's glory Like he's infinitely wonderful and he's perfect and he's completely unconditional unconditionally full of love he's pure of, of full of grace Like, it's the weight of the pureness of all those good things at one time is God's glory. I think we can relate in a sense where we use the word glorious. We use it on something that is really amazing and wonderful. Maybe we use it for a spouse. You look glorious, or you're wonderful, you're amazing, you look glorious. Or we do it with a sunset, like, especially in Hawaii. You're like, wow, that is, I don't know if we say, like, that's a glorious sunset. But we might like, wow, that is like amazing, it's glorious. I say it to my like, six-year-old daughter all the time. I like look at her sometimes, I'm like, glorious one, what do you want? Like sometimes she's like, you're so cute. Like you're glorious. And what I mean by that, it's like the fullness of who you are, you're glorious. But that is like pills in comparison to what's talking about here. It's like the fullness of beauty, the fullness of wonder and amazement, like the greatest treasure of all, all packed into one is the glory of God. That's what Moses is asking for. This is like so bold of Moses. I love because in public, Moses is actually like super scaredy cat. Um, God asks him, like he'll never speak in front of people. He hates speaking in front of people. Uh, I totally get that. It's, uh, it's not a problem for me, really. But um, it didn't, didn't always used to be that way. Uh, but right, every time God said, Moses, I want you to be my representative before Pharaoh. I want you to lead the people. He's always been like, God, that's not me. I have a speech impediment. Like I, All these excuses of like, why? No. But then in private, Moses is like the, mo- the boldest person that's ever existed because he's going before God. And if there's, remember, Moses, maybe with the exception of Adam and Eve, he he has been in the presence of God more than any other human, right? Like the burning bush, the many conversations in Egypt, on the top of Mount Sinai, in the tent of meeting. I mean, if there's a guy that's been with God enough, it's Moses. But Moses, he's like, I want more. I've gotten a taste of how good you are, God, and I want it all. I want your kabod. I want the full weight of your glory. Moses, like, was hungry for God. He wanted more of God's presence. He desired more time spent with him. He wanted to go deeper. He said, God, I want more. We're going to end with this, but, but just for a second, what an example for us to follow. Like as much as we think we may know God, how much more of God is there for us to know? And how easy it is, especially for those that have been Christians, been to church, grew up in the church, we become stagnant and complacent. And, and unfortunately, we're not like that Moses where like we can't get enough of God. We just kind of get into the rhythms and we get it when we can. And we're like, oh, that was a good sermon. You know what I'm saying? But Moses is, is, is operating out of like, like something like what Paul would say to the, to the Romans in Romans 11. He would say, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Like Moses knows, like there is no end to my God. And it only gets better. And there's only more goodness and more love and more grace the more I press in. So he's beseeching God, like, show me the full weight of who you are. And God responds, and he agrees. He says, okay, okay. And he does so kind of in an interesting way. He kind of says yes, he kind of says no. But he does so by communicating his character and his attributes, Right, Moses says, show me your glory, and God said, okay, I'll do it by showing you my goodness. Right, Moses asked to see the glory of God, and God promised to show Moses his goodness, but then again, God's glory lies in his goodness. And so God says, Moses, I'll do it, but actually, you can't handle it. Like, you can't handle all of me. If you were to see me face to face, there is no one that could handle like the pureness of my goodness as a sinner in a sinful world that's not perfect himself. One day when we, you know, in heaven, we get to see Jesus face to face where there's no sin and we're glorified bodies. And okay, that's the day. But here and now, Moses, no one can handle it, not even you. I'm too magnificent for you to see. And so what he says here, he says, I'll show you my backside. That doesn't mean what you think it means. What you think it means, when I say that, it's not what it means. God's not saying that. What it literally means, or to the effect of, it means, like, you can see the trail of my glory. You can see, like, the after effects. You can see, like, the afterglow, so to speak. Like, I'll pass by but you can't get the fullness of me because it's too much. It's too good. It's too magnificent. You can't see the full strength, but you can get part of me. And he gives Moses these instructions because it's like a serious deal. Like Moses, you need to like hide under that cleft of the rock, like this little cave. You need to go in. You need to like be careful. Don't come out when I pass by. I mean, there's like all these instructions going on because the presence of the glory of God with the fullness, full weight, the kabod of, of, of God's glory is coming. And it says that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there glory of God. This cloud mentioned was in no doubt the cloud of glory known as the Shekinah glory. We know this from, you know, 2 Chronicles 7, the dedication of Solomon's temple. God's presence fills the temple. His Shekinah glory comes in power, fills the temple, and it's just too much and all the priests have to run out of the temple because of the pureness and the wonder and the majesty of God is in their midst. And this cloud of glory is actually mentioned like many times in the Bible where God comes in his glory to his people. Um, several times in Exodus, right? It's, it's, it's done this before. It covered Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. It went with Israel. It's what led Israel in the day, Exodus 13, 21 and 22. Uh, it stood at the tent of meeting that we talked about last week when Moses went in to meet with God. The Shekinah glory would be over the tent. It also overshadowed Mary at the conception of Jesus. God's glory, Luke 1. It was present at the transfiguration of Jesus, Luke 9. And it will be present at the return of Jesus, uh, the book of Revelation chapter 1 talks about. Like the full weight of God's manifest presence and glory. And the effect it had on Moses... Right, close communion with God, even if it was like the backside of God and Moses was hidden and he didn't see God's face, but he experienced the glory of God. Like he had come close to something so wonderful and powerful that his face started glowing due to the glory of God. And Moses was like physically changed by this encounter with God. And I think that's something to point out. When we spend time with God and are in God's presence, we change, and it's noticeable. That's exactly why, like in Acts chapter 4, these rowdy group of disciples, Peter and John, they're an unqualified and uneducated and don't really know what they're doing, and they're preaching the gospel, and they get arrested, and they're, they're, they're on trial, and they they tell them why. They tell them who they believe in and, and, and who God is. And all they can say, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they say, wow, you're uneducated and untrained, meaning like you're crazy and dumb, honestly. But you've been with Jesus. Like you have been with Jesus and it's obvious that you have been in the presence of God and their lives were changed because of it. And so in a very visual representation of this, Moses comes off the mountain, and he's glowing. And what happens is, in conjunction with revealing God's manifest presence and his glory, he also declares his goodness, and he reaffirms his attributes and his character to Moses. So right, there's this, like, supernatural, like, Very experiential, like his senses were going crazy. This is like a very experiential time with the Lord. But in conjunction with that, God God speaks the truth of his character in conjunction with that experience. So right Exodus 34, 5 and 6, we just read it, but I have it on here again. The Lord came down in the cloud, the Shekinah glory, stood there with him and, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Like in this moment, if if Moses had any doubt or question of who God was, this is God's attempt to be like, this is who I am. I'm describing and I'm telling you my character and my heart for all of humanity. And so the Lord describes himself. He's self-disclosing his goodness. And he describes, there's a few ways in which the Lord uh, speaks to describe himself. The first is compassionate or merciful and gracious. This idea here is that God is full of compassion. He has a heart of compassion for his creation, for humanity. And the same word here was also used regarding Israel and the Exodus in the book of Psalms. Right? Psalm 78, 38 says, But he, God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity or their sin, and he did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away, and he did not stir up all his wrath. One commentator would say, this is compassion in action. And so God not only has shown this, but he's reminding as his glory is coming that I am a compassionate God. I'm a merciful God. And the word translated gracious here comes from this idea to to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior or to show favor uh, or or to bestow the idea of grace, giving to the undeserving. See, grace is an undeserved free gift of the love of God. And what God is doing here is reminding, I am a God that's full of love, full of compassion, and full of grace. God goes on in this interaction to say that he is long-suffering, and he's a God that is abounding in goodness and in truth. The idea behind the word long-suffering here here means that God is slow to anger. He doesn't have a short fuse and is impatient with us. He's actually a very patient God when he comes to our rebellion and our sin. Right, we all know people that have a short fuse that are really hard to deal with, that are really easily offended. They're really easily prone to anger at the slightest offense. And God isn't like that. God is not like that. He's not like, so ready to pounce on you and punish you. And that is not the character of God. God is long-suffering and full of goodness and full of truth. And he's not merely adequate, but he's abounding Is this great God of glory. Like, Like, he's not stretched thin. Like, he's full of love and faithfulness. And then he goes on to say, I keep mercy for thousands, forgiving inequity, and transgression, and sin. And once again, God is reminding Moses, after a whole nation had just sinned, after two and a half million people had just committed idolatry, what he's doing here is God is showing his goodness towards us in his forgiving character. And this idea of iniquity, or transgression, or sin are all mentioned because it's it's covering all the types of sins, so to speak, so that none of us can say, "Well, God is unable to forgive that sin, or that you know thing, or or that 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 way in which you rebelled." Oh, God's going to forgive that, but not that. He covers all the bases here. And Psalm 86:15 repeats the same exact thing. But you, O Lord, are a God full of what? Compassion, and you're gracious and you're long-suffering, and you're abundant in mercy and truth. Guys, this is true for us today. Like, this isn't just like, oh, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament God. Like, New Testament God's different. Like, that's not a thing. Same God. Same yesterday, today, and forever. God's character, love, mercy, and grace is, that's present in the Old Testament is also present in the New Testament. There's no difference there. There's maybe just a a, a fullness that comes with it. What does Moses do? It's kind of like a crazy interaction on the top of a mountain, all alone. His face is glowing. He sees the glory of God. What's Moses' reaction? It caused Moses in verse eight to worship. Not like, Yeah, not do anything else. He literally was so in awe of who God was that knowing the depths of the goodness of God led him to worship. And I want you to hold on to this. The truth is, our worship rises or falls depending on our view of God. Our worship rises or falls depending on our view of God. So the question is, is that do we view God in the way Moses did? Is that what we think of God? Is that our perception? Are those the attributes and characteristics we think of that God just self-described himself as? This is why this is important. Having a right perception of God is crucial to us. Right? Like think about it in life. If you have a skewed perception of something or someone, well, how does that affect the way you interact with that person? Like if someone says, hey, that person you're going to meet, they're really mean. They're cruel. They're always angry. Watch out. They have a short fuse. You're like, first of all, I don't want to meet that person. Like I don't even know them, but my perception because of what you told me about them, I'm not going to meet them. But then when you meet them, what are you doing? You're like on guard. You're like, you don't want to speak. You're like, let's just get this over with. You haven't even interacted with them yet. Your perception has been informed and it changes the way you interact with that person. It doesn't have to be that dramatic, right? Even just in any relationship, if you don't feel safe in that relationship, Well, what's going to happen? You're not going to be transparent. You're not going to be vulnerable. You're not going to share your your life with them if you don't feel safe. Right? Like, your perception informs your interaction. And it really matters when that comes to how we view God. Because the same is true. Depending on what you think of God, you either... I think there's three things. I think there's three, three things that you can do. You either avoid God because you just have a bad perception of him, whether that be your upbringing, whether it be like a church you grew up in, whether that be just a bad experience, whether that just be like media, or whatever it is, like, dude, God is judgmental. God is critical. God is angry. God is not real. Whatever your perception is, if you have that perception, maybe you just avoid God altogether. Also, maybe you're just like, I don't really know who God is. I'm not really sure. So then all of a sudden, you just become unsure how to deal and interact with him. You ask some people, and you're like, well, I don't hate God. I don't really love God. I just don't really know what to do with him. I don't know how to interact because I don't really know his intentions. I don't really know his heart. I don't really know what he's going to do if I ever talk to him. What would he do to my life if I gave it to him? That kind of thing. Or, obviously, if you have a right view and a right perception, that's why you surrender and, like, come to know him and love him because you know who God is. And so you give your life to him because you have a right view and a right perception of who he is. And, unfortunately, what Christians over the course of millennia and the church, like, not just, re- like just the church in general... Um, We have unfortunately done such a good job at misrepresenting who God is. We've misrepresented actually what the Bible says our God is. We get so wrapped up with either like a weird theology, or we only teach part of it, or maybe we don't teach the Bible, or maybe how we live our lives, since we're supposed to be Christian and like God, we see other Christians, and you're like, if that's God, I don't want it. So, the perception of God that we can have is greatly formed a lot of times by Christians. Like, someone's never gone to church, but they just know a Christian, and they're like, You're hypocritical. You're judgmental. Like, if you're saying that that's it, I'm out. Right? We've done a really good job, unfortunately, on misrepresenting or incorrectly portraying God, and it's really damaged. The, rep, the, 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 the view of who God is. And what it's done is it's actually distanced people from God because of a perception. Right? We need to take that to God and search our own hearts and repent. Like, we need to be better. We need to say sorry and we need to start living for Jesus. Right? That's one thing. But this is why. I hope you're hearing this. This is why it is so important that every Christian, you care about theology, Theology is like the study of God, of who God is. How do you know who God is? The Bible. Yes, you can hear a sermon. Yes, you can hear a podcast. And yes, you can read a book. But but what does the Bible say? Is it based in that? Is it wrapped up in scripture? The Bible informs us of who God is. The Bible in its entirety. Remember, like, read the whole thing. Don't just proofread Don't just like jump in and go, oh, no, God's mean. That's all he is. I read that verse. How could he do that? Have you read the whole thing? Have you read the story? It's like jumping into any book like midway through on a random chapter on a random book. Like You're like, how could that happen? You're like, dude, read the story. Story's not done. You have no idea context. It's like someone jumping into a movie, right? You're watching a movie at your house and like someone just comes late and they jump in and be like, oh, this sucks you're like, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. Go, just go away. You have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Sorry, I'll back up. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going here. People are like, cut it, cut it out. Uh, Here's the deal. Let me go back. Knowing who God is by knowing the Bible and reading the Bible is how we're informed. And again, Our worship rises or falls depending on a perception of who God is. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the prince of preachers, would say this about Christians when it comes to knowing God. He said, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is... The name and the nature and the person, the work and the doings, the existence of the great God whom he calls his father. His point is like, if there's anything we could give our life to and want more of, it's like knowing who God is. Good theology gives us a right perception of God and the truth of who God is leads us to worship. God desires to meet with us. That is a truth that if you read the Bible, you will know God wants to show himself to us. He wants to commune and be with us. And he does very much want to show his glory to us in the manifest present sense, just like he did with Moses. And again, it may be different and less dramatic, and we're not in the cleft of a rock, But we still can and very much experience the tangible glory of God in our midst. We do that in times of prayer. We do that in times of worship. We experience God. And just like Moses, I believe that we're changed by being in the presence of God. I said this before, but I really believe that a moment in the presence of God can answer a lifetime of doubt. You experience the fullness of who God is and his love and his mercy. All the the questions you had are like, doesn't matter. All the doubt you had, all the struggle you had, you're like, wow, I have just experienced God and I know he's real and he's true and he's merciful and he's gracious. So the question would be is, do we long for this? Do we desire to experience God? Because like for Moses... Moses had experienced God, and what happened was he wanted more. Like, it's been said that the more we know of God, the more we will desire to know him. Like, the more we know him, the more we'll want. In longing to see God's glory, we're saying we want to know him intimately. And so the question I want us, like, to ponder and take to the Lord and, like, Dwell on or like think about this week, like write it down, make a note, make a reminder. Is do we want more of God? Like do we hunger to know Him? Like like Moses here, are we desperate for His presence? That's that's a deep work that that uh, God God needs to do is to dwell up that desire. But how that desire starts is just to know God, like. Like jump in and dive into God's word and read and figure out who God is. You'll be blown away. You'll be in awe and wonder and you'll want more. So many of us were hesitant because our perception of who God is has is, is been tainted. And you may be even in a really hard situation right now. I know a lot of you are. You're in a really hard place. All of us will be. It just might not be the week or the month or the year for it, but we'll all be there. And in those times when you have a really hard season and you're in a lot of pain, we all of a sudden begin, God, why are you doing this and are you good? And I want to speak to you that God is good. He always has been and he always will be. Despite our circumstances in this broken world with broken relationships, even in the midst of that, God is the same. This is who God is. He is compassionate and merciful and graceful and full of forgiveness and full of loving kindness. Amen. And so I'd like to offer a prayer for us written by the late A.W. Tozer. Um, This is old English, so bear with me. And then uh, we'll jump into a time of response and worship. This is what Tozer's prayer was in light of this text in Exodus. He says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be more thirsty still. Show me your glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. God, we pray that this would be true of us, that we would be a people that the more we know you, the more we would want to know you. God, I pray uh, for all of us that have just been in church, been a Christian, grew up in the church, those of us that are really prone to become stagnant, that we're prone to, to not have really prayed this prayer for a long time. I pray that you would restore the zeal and desire that maybe we once had, maybe when we first came to know you. God, would you restore that? Would we be like Moses that are just, just we, we can't get enough of you and we want more of you. So we declare that we want your glory. Show us your glory, God. And for those of us that are uh, new and uh, maybe new to the faith or just came to know the Lord or came back to the Lord and that do feel like this, that just want to eat up God's word and eat up like everything they can to know who God is, I pray that you would sustain them. I pray you continue to give them that zeal. You continue to meet them where they're at. And God, I pray for those of us that are just really jaded and um, have like a like a, a, a different view of you than, than maybe what was communicated here, have a real struggle with like relating who you are and what's happening in the world. God, I pray that you would meet us right now with that manifest presence that, that in kind of our confusion or our or questions that you would show up. God, we ask that your presence would be here as we continue to worship. Thank you that your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. And so we ask that you would do that now. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.